What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. I hope everyone's having an amazing week so far because we have a fun one on tap today. We're gonna be talking about the economics behind the Tour de France. Now, this year is the 110th edition of this race. It starts this weekend on July 1st and runs through Sunday, July 23rd. We're gonna cover a bunch of stuff. I wanna talk about all the economics that we could find, which is everything from how much the participants make to the team, how much the sponsors pay, the TV rights, and more. I had a bunch of fun putting this one together, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. So let's get right into it. Okay, so the Tour de France is widely considered one of the world's single hardest sporting events. That's because there's 176 cyclists in 22 teams of eight that race a distance extending 3,500 kilometers. That's roughly the distance from New York City. If you were to just drive west, you would hit Salt Lake City. It's extremely, extremely far, and you're doing it over such a short time period. These athletes will cycle every single day for roughly three consecutive weeks. They'll have just two off days, and even on those off days, they're still going to cycle to keep their legs loose. They'll climb mountains, hills, and cobblestone streets, and they'll finish by racing into the streets of Paris at speeds in excess of 25 miles per hour for the final yellow jersey. In total, Tour de France cyclists who compete in all 21 stages will burn almost 120,000 calories during the race, or an average of nearly 6,000 calories per stage. You'll see them eating things like jam rolls, energy bars, and other things to stay fueled. And that's because these cyclists really aren't that big. One of the previous winners, I think last year, weighed in at just like 150 or 155 pounds. So they're constantly trying to keep their body fueled. And this is a really physical and difficult challenge. Now, for the structure of this podcast, just to be clear, I want to cover a few different things. But first, it's probably helpful to understand a little bit about like the overview of the race, how it started etc. before we get into the numbers behind them. So the race, as I mentioned in the intro, starts this Saturday, July 21st. They'll race essentially for three weeks straight until July 23rd. The total distance that they'll cover is just over 2,000 miles, so 2,100 miles, 3,400 kilometers. There's 21 stages. This race is actually going to be starting in Spain for the first time since 1992, and they quickly get into France, and then they race through France and did Paris. This is the 110th edition of the race. And get this, total climbing, elevation gain during all the stages. What do you think it is? Nearly 56,500 meters. So over 56,000 meters, you're going to be climbing throughout the duration of this race from an elevation perspective. TV coverage in the UK is going to be done by Discovery Plus, GCN Plus, ITV4. In the United States, it'll be covered by Peacock and NBC Sports. As I mentioned before, these individuals are racing for 21 days out of the 23 days. The two rest days will come on July 10th and July 17th, so spread out between the 23 total days. And as I mentioned, these people will be cycling on those days as well to keep their muscles loose. Now, look, the purse has gotten pretty big over the years. There's 22 teams of eight riders each, totaling 176 riders. First place, the biggest prize you can possibly get, which is the yellow jersey. I think most of you probably know what that means by now. That is the leader of the Tour de France at any given period. Whoever finishes with the yellow jersey wins the Tour. Gets a first place prize of $545,000. Second place, $220,000. Third place, $110,000. 
Of course, there are team prizes too. So the first place team gets $55,000, $33,000 for second place, third place $22,000. And then there's like a bunch of different categories that you can win points for. So there's a points leader, the green jersey. First place will get 28,000, descending down to third place, which gets 11,000. There's a polka dot jersey, which is they call the king of the mountains. You get 28,000 if you win that, descending down to 11,000 for third place. The best young rider is the white jersey. You'll get $22,000 if you win that, descending down to 11,000 for third place. Most aggressive rider is the red jersey. You get 22,000 if you win that. There's no second or third place, just first place. And then individual stage prizes each stage, 10,000 for first place, 5,200 for second. 2700 for third. Now, in addition to the top three prices that I mentioned previously, which is like 545,000, 220,000, and 110,000 for first, second, and third place, respectively, fourth through 19th also win prizes going from 77,000 to 1,200. So fourth place gets 77,000 and it just keeps going down and down and down and down until you get to 1,200 for 19th place. And then if you're 20th to 160th, you're getting $1,100. So basically everyone that finishes outside the top 20 is getting 1100 bucks for their three weeks of effort. Now, it's customary for the yellow jersey winner, the person that shares for or wins first place and takes home $545,000 to share that with their team, the riders and the staff on their team. The, the percentages are not disclosed, but generally they're splitting it up because it takes a lot of people to help you win the race. We'll get into that. But the riders also get an additional $550 to their total prize winnings for every stage that they win on top of that. And the total prize money pool, including add-on bonuses and everything outside of that, for the entire Tour de France is $2.8 million. So there's 176 riders. They're all competing for essentially a $2.8 million prize, although not one person can win that. Some of it's individual prize money. Some of it's split up between first, second, and third place. Some of it's team money. You get the point. $2.8 million purse, though, for the entire event. Now, the history behind the race is actually pretty fascinating. It started before 1900, the turn of the 20th century. A French newspaper named Lotto, Leotto, I don't know how to pronounce it necessarily, but it's L apostrophe Auto, is on the verge of shutting down, right? Right before 1903. So leadership asked its writers to come up with an idea to boost circulation. Then 26-year-old writer Gio Leverets suggested hosting the biggest cycling race in French history. What do you know? 1903, the Tour de France is launched and it is a smash hit. The newspaper circulation increased 160% from 25,000 newspapers being delivered per day to 65,000 newspapers being delivered per day in the event's first year. And their circulation of the newspaper only increased further, up another 340% over the next 30 years. Now, this went on for 30, 40 years, but from 1940 to 1946, the Tour de France was actually shut down due to World War II. Then after peacetime, after World War II, the newspaper company was shut down permanently and was taken over by a pro-Nazi German group during the war. So the Tour de France ownership was given to another French newspaper called Liquid. After operating in a deficit every single year since taking over the Tour de France, we'll call it 20 plus years, Liquid was doing it. A privately run French sports organizer called Amari Sports Organization, ASO, we'll call them going forward, takes over the tour from Liquid. And ASO has owned the Tour de France ever since. So again, one newspaper basically starts the tour at early 1900s. 1903 was the first tour. They use it as a way to boost circulation for their newspaper. So they organize what they're calling the biggest cycling race in French history. It works. It explodes. It goes on for 34 years. World War II shuts it down for six years in the middle. 
after World War II, that original newspaper that started the Tour de France gets taken over by a pro-Nazi German group during the war. So another French newspaper takes it over. They do it for about 20 years. They're not making any money on it. So then they hand it over to this company called ASO, who runs the tour today. So they've been running the tour for about 80 years so far, and they're still doing it today. Now, we're going to go into a little bit about how the tour makes money. And I want to be careful because some of this is speculation for sure. They really keep a tight vest on this. They don't tell anyone how much money they're making. The broadcast deals aren't public. The sponsorship deals in a lot of cases aren't public. The hosting fees and so forth are not always public. The Hustle actually did a great article on this a few years ago. I highly recommend you checking it out. I'll link it in today's newsletter where everyone can go and read it further. But essentially, they speculated on a bunch of different things, right, based on inflation and what else and what they were able to find from a revenue standpoint. And I'll break it down for you. So the majority of the money from the Tour de France is made from broadcasting rights. That's about 55%. Secondly is advertising and sponsorship revenue, which is about 40%. And then the remaining 5%, we'll call it, comes from city hosting fees. Now, when you add all of this up, again, it's a, it's a sort of a wide range, but it's estimated that the Tour de France is bringing in annual revenue of anywhere between $75 million to $180 million when adjusting for inflation. So $75 million to $180 million in annual revenue for the poor. They operate, according to the hustle, at 21% profit margins which could mean anywhere between $12 million to $30 million in profit. And if you adjust for inflation from a few years back, this article, it's probably about $15 million in profit today. Okay, so they do, you know, we'll call it 75 to $180 million in revenue, maybe $15 million of that as profit. And then if we look at the category specifically, again, broadcast rights are making up the majority of this at just over 55%. They're bringing in 50 to $100 million in broadcast rights every single year. This is because the Tour de France is available on television in more than 200 countries. Broadcast deals are vital. It's bar none vital to the business. ASO's broadcast deals are typically included in the rights to other events. So if you think about it, they also have the Tour de France women's tour. They have a bunch of different cycling events around Paris and Nice and other places like that. And the ASO has been relatively quiet, but we've gotten some numbers over the years. And what we know is pretty simple. NBC in the United States pays an estimated $8 million per year to put on the race, which is actually interesting because I saw a different article talking about how for NBC to put on the Tour de France, it cost them $2 million to in expenses. So $2 million to put on the race and broadcast the race, $8 million per year they're spending on it. We'll call it $10 million that they're already in the hole, depending on the viewership. Essentially, the way you should think about that is that it is an advertising right? What are they trying to do? They're either trying to get signups for their streaming services or whatever they are, depending on what network is also broadcasting it. But on the flip side, they're trying to get ads, right? They're selling sponsorships across it, right? For commercials and other things like that. So they're putting in about $10 million between expenses to actually broadcast the race and then the fee itself. Other networks are paying even more than that. The big station in France is paying $25 million per year. There's a station called Eurovision Sport, which is available in 54 countries in Europe and beyond. They are hush-hush on what they're paying, but it's estimated to be in that ballpark as well. Australia, Latin America, and Caribbean, we're not sure on what they're doing either. But interestingly enough, ESPN actually holds the rights in Latin America and the Caribbean. It's not obviously as big of a fee as NBC in the United States, but it's still probably somewhat significant, maybe you know, low seven figures or something like that. From a viewership perspective, there's a reason why they're paying so much money. The Tour de France last year in 2022 generated 150 million total viewers in Europe. That's more than the Super Bowl. It is. Obviously, it's spread out over numerous days. It's not the same. But you get the point. It's a big, big, big event. 
And then France, if you look at France specifically, their FTV, they attracted 41.5 million total viewers for the 2022 Tour de France. Now, as I mentioned before, NBC is paying $2 million for broadcasts in cost to broadcast the tour. And the reason for this is actually kind of simple because most cycling broadcasts actually lose money. They're not revenue generators, right? They, they don't make a whole lot of money because the viewership isn't always there, especially dependent on kind of where the country is, the history behind the race and so forth. We're talking about the Super Bowl of cycling right here, the Tour de France. So there's a bunch going on in the television department, but all you need to know is that they're making 55% of their revenue on an annual basis from broadcast rights, that could be anywhere from 40, 50 to $100 million. And it's a significant, significant part of the business. But secondly, we have the advertising and sponsorship component of this race as well. This is bringing in anywhere between 30 million to $75 million in annual revenue. And it's a huge part. It's a lot more interesting too, from an economic perspective for the Tour de France and maybe broadcasting. Broadcasting rights are a little straightforward. Sponsorships and advertising, those can get cut up into a million different pieces and money can be made for sure. All right, everyone, quick interruption from today's episode to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, ButcherBox. I've been ordering from ButcherBox for a few years now, and it's the single best solution I've found to save time while guaranteeing the quality of your food. Everyone probably knows what ButcherBox is, but they deliver 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, and wild-caught seafood directly to your doorstep. It's literally that easy, and it tastes incredible. So ditch the butcher lines today and guarantee the freshness of your meat with ButcherBox. And here's the best part. If you sign up today, ButcherBox is offering all of my listeners two pounds of ground beef for free every time they order over the next year. Let me say that again. Two pounds of ground beef every time you order over the next year you get for free. So go to butcherbox.com slash Pomp and use code JOEPOMP, all caps, JOEPOMP at checkout to get that discount today. So there's two different pieces to the advertising and sponsorship front. One is what we'll call like partnership tiers. And that's like main partners, secondary partners, et cetera, et cetera. You're paying for exposure, essentially. And the amount of exposure you get, the more you pay. Makes a lot of sense. The second part of this is a thing called the publicity caravan. And we'll get to that in a second. But let's start with the main part. These are companies like LCL. It's a French bank. Skoda, a Czech automaker. Continental, which is a German automotive parts manufacturer and others. There's eyewear companies, there's food retailers, et cetera. Those companies are paying sponsorship fees for exposure. And the best exposure you could possibly get is the Jersey sponsor. So the jerseys, the easiest way to put it, in the Tour de France are famous. It's a big form of advertising for the race. And four of the race's main partners are Jersey sponsors. The best one to note is LCL, which is the number one main partner of the race. They reportedly pay ASO $12 million per year to sponsor the yellow jersey. So when you see LCL on the yellow jersey, they're paying $12 million for that on the jersey. Skoda is second. They pay $4 million to sponsor the green jersey. So again, whenever you see that yellow jersey during the race, whenever you see that green jersey, just know the sponsor on the back of that is paying $12 million and $4 million respectively to be on that jersey. There's other ones too. The polka dot jerseys run by E. Leclerc. The uh, white jersey is run by Chris, which is a French eyewear company. And there's other ones too. Continental has a partnership. And again, millions of other partners, watch companies, everything like that on the official second tier partnership list. But the more interesting part about sponsorships and advertising, in my opinion, is the publicity caravan. So this is another major component of the Tour de France's advertising and sponsorship category. It's essentially a parade of brand partners that put together a creative writing display and they hand out promotional gifts like event swag and food items. 
This publicity caravan takes place each stage of the Tour de France. And 47% of Tour de France fans go to the race primarily to see the caravan, they say. 47%. So the cost on this can totally depend on kind of what you're doing. The ASO publicity caravan entry fee is $270,000. And you can also get in the lowest point of entry is $17,000, right? So the average person is paying about two seventy, dollars but the lowest way to get in is $17,000. That's essentially you put your own car in. It's one car. You put your own decals on. There's no extravagant, you know, publicity, anything else like that. It's your simple car with a decal, 17 grand, you pay, you go in. Then some of these people are paying up to over $1 million for multiple vehicles, multiple workers, millions of items being handed out, et cetera, et cetera. So you get the point. And the numbers are quite fascinating, to be honest. They estimate that last year, 15 million items were handed out to fans. They had 30-minute shows, sometimes longer during the race. These caravans are 6.2 miles long. There's 30 brands, 150 vehicles, 480 caravan members, four safety cars at the front and the back of the caravan, three medical vehicles, and 120 logistics workers and mechanics. So again, let me read that to you correctly. 15 million items are handed out during this caravan. This caravan is essentially just going before the race and they hand out stuff. It's like a freaking carnival, right? It's like a parade. And they just go in the handout stuff. 15 million items will be handed out. It's 30 minutes long. It takes maybe a little bit longer, depending on the, the stage and the time and stuff like that. 6.2 miles long, 30 brands, 150 vehicles, 480 caravan members, four safety info cars at the front and back of the caravan, three medical vehicles, 120 logistics workers and mechanics. And it is a huge, huge, huge show. So one of the other interesting things here is the last part of this, which is the city hosting fee. Cities, similar to what you would see in like Formula One. You guys all know about Formula One by now. We've talked about it before. Formula One doesn't make any money on the actual races. What they're doing is they are essentially loaning out their IP and their assets to specific venues to host races. So Miami, Saudi, Silverstone, it doesn't matter. They're paying Formula One to host a race. Sometimes it's $20 million, sometimes it's $40 million. It can go up to $55 million for places like Saudi Arabia. And then they're taking all the blame, right? They're, they're the good and the bad. They're selling tickets, they're doing hospitality, everything. So whatever they make from there is theirs. And that's why it's so enticing for these businesses to do it because the entry fee isn't really that high depending on where you are for how much you could make on the race. Miami, for instance, they're probably paying somewhere like 30, 40, or $50 million but they could be making $150 or $200 million on the back end. So it's really, really, really enticing. And we see the same thing during the Tour de France, except on a much smaller scale. So for example, the city host fees for the Tour de France are the smallest revenue generator for the Tour, but they can still command anywhere between like what we'll call the big days are commanding $5.5 million to $6 million. That's the Grand Depart. That's three days. A stage start can do $65,000 and a stage finish is $120,000. So the big days, again, five to $6 million, no problem. That's what you'll pay to get to get the, the Tour de France to take off from your city. The stage starts are paying $65,000 and the stage finishes are paying $120,000. So it's actually really not that much, but the host cities are typically making back, we'll call it three to six times on their investment. So if you were in marketing and you were doing a brand deal or something like that, maybe you'll call it return on ad spend. Same same concept here, right? 
you're paying $65,000 to host the start of a stage, and you're expecting to make back three to six times your investment on the people that are coming to your area, the economic impact of your area to host that race. So maybe they make more money on hosting fees down the road, but today it is a very small piece of the pie. You're not going to be making anywhere close to what you would make off broadcasting rights or sponsorships or stuff like that. Still very interesting though. The next piece of this is the economic impact for the entire Tour de France, right? So there's a few different ways to look at it, but the three-day start of the Tour de France typically takes place in a host city outside of France. And that's a huge piece of this because these cities and these towns and these countries are jockeying for position to be able to get this. I just told you they're paying five to six million dollars to be able to host the start of the race called the Grand Depart. Denmark did it last year and they generated an economic impact of $108 million dollars with more than 722,000 international and domestic tourists and 1.6 million total fans attending over three days of stages. So again, they're probably paying anywhere between five to six million dollars in hosting fees to do that. And just like Formula One, they're generating a multiple of that on the back end. They were estimated to bring in an economic impact of $108 million last year, which was through 722,000 international and domestic tourists and 1.6 million total fans averaged over three days of stages. And why were they able to get so many fans there? It's simple. The tickets are free to the public. Obviously, many people arrange their own travel plans and logistics the minute the tour is announced to get hotels, rental cars, and everything else before it sells out. The tickets are free. You can legit just show up. You pay to go somewhere. You can drive there. Maybe you're in the town already, live there, whatever it is. You can just walk down and watch the race. It's very cool. It's very unique. And it's one of the things that make it the most interesting because people don't have to pay for tickets. They just show up. And the last part I want to talk about here is the business of pro cycling teams themselves. If anyone hasn't watched the documentary that just got released on Netflix about the Tour de France, I highly recommend it. I watched it last week. It's fantastic. It gives you a really good insight. It's not only the tour, but the dynamics in between each of these teams. The dynamics are fascinating. It's not like anything we have in American sports today. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. But when it comes to the teams themselves, These teams are relying heavily on sponsors and donors for their budgets. In fact, there was a study done a couple of years ago that 70% on average of a team's budget comes from their title sponsor. Now, look, these sponsors are obviously doing it for a reason. They generated $88.4 million in 2013 from media exposure from the sponsors themselves, which if you ingested for inflation today is $117 million in exposure. So there's a reason why they're doing it. But the budgets are really important because you can almost guarantee who's going to win the race based on who has the top four biggest budgets. It's just like how Formula One used to be before the cost cap and certainly probably is still today, is the teams that are spending the most money from a budget perspective have the best chance of winning. And there's a clear disparity between these teams. Like if we just looked at the disparity right now, the lowest teams are spending about $8 million in budget and the highest are spending about 55, we'll call it million dollars in And there's a reason why some of the team managers have called for cost caps to be introduced because they don't think it's fair. But at the end of the day, the money brings dominance and that's how it works. So the owners of the top five teams, we'll run through them. They have two to seven times more, the top five, than any of the other teams. Number one, the biggest spender is Ineos. This is run by the billionaire Sir Jim Ratcliffe. They have a $55 million budget. They've been in top two budgets for years now, and they've won six of the last Tour de France titles. Sir Jim Ratcliffe has a net worth of over $20 billion. So I don't think he's necessarily worried about it, but it's the Ineos team. They spend $55 million every year. Second place is a budget of $38 million. That's the UAE team Emirates. 
They're funded by state-owned aviation company Emirates, which generated $3 billion in profit on $32.6 billion in revenue last year. They won back-to-back Tour de France titles in 2020 and 2021. Like I said, they ain't worried about cash. Their second biggest spender is $38 million budget. Number three is Jumbo Visma. They are heavily documented in the new Netflix special. They have a $29 million budget. They were funded, which is actually ending by a food group who generated over $11 billion in revenue in 2022. That partnership, I believe, is ending in 2024. Don't quote me on that. Number four is Quickstep. They have a $27 million budget. They're owned by billionaire Zednik Bakala. Number five is Citrium. They have a $25 million budget, and they are funded by French automaker Citrium, which generated $16 billion in revenue in 2022. So again, simply put, the best teams spend the most money. Pretty self-explanatory there. The number one team is Ineos. They are spending $55 million in budget. It goes all the way down $55 million, $38 million, $29 million, $27 million, $25 million. One of those teams is all but guaranteed to win the title. Those are the ones that you really need to be looking out for. And it goes all the way down, like the lowest teams. There's probably, I'm looking at the chart right now. It looks like there's probably like six or seven teams that are spending less than 10 million. But the majority of teams, we'll call it, are somewhere in that like 10 to 15 to 20 range. And then the top five are like blowing it away. Like Ineos spends, you know, almost double everyone except for Team Emirates. So one of those teams has a huge advantage when it comes to winning races. And my guess is that that trend will hold true and the top five will continue to hold it down. Now, last thing I want to cover are the cyclist salaries. So we talked about team budgets, but the cyclist salaries are also quite interesting too. That's because the prize money at the Tour de France is no longer the main money driver for professional cyclists. As I pointed out earlier, winners of the Tour de France typically split their winnings with their team and their staff because, once again, the commercial value of professional cycling comes from sponsors and donors. To know, top pro cyclists on the UCI World Tour command anywhere between $5.5 million to $6.5 million in annual salary, with two-time and back-to-back Tour de France winner Taji Bogagar, setting the high bar with $6.5 million. And the minimal amount UCI World Tour salary is $45,000. So the lowest you're making on the World Tour is $45,000 in salary. The best guys are making $6.5 million in annual salary. It's usually somewhere in between. And a lot of this is driven by the sponsors and donors. All right, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this breakdown. I had a bunch of fun putting it together and I cannot wait to watch the race over the next three weeks. It's one of those things that once you watch it once, you will watch it every single year. It's a really, really, really cool athletic achievement. And it's one of those things that you just can't believe that other people are able to do. Your homework for this weekend is to watch the Netflix series. I promise you will enjoy it and enjoy the race. Wimbledon is up next week and we'll talk on Monday.